my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I walked into the sacristy this morning, and what to my wondering eyes should appear but Chuck Rhodes in full altar gear. <laughs> Welcome home. <laughs> Spur of the moment there. I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from the Gospel of Mark. The big idea is prepare the way to your heart because Jesus is coming. Prepare the way to your heart. Jesus is coming. And again, I want to talk a little bit about Mark. Uh, we're in year B, as you know. Mark is year B. Luke is A. Or I'm sorry. Matthew is A. Luke is C. John all throughout. Um, his name... Sometimes you hear John Mark. The John is Hebrew. The Mark is Latin. So it's the same person. He's a cousin of Barnabas. He's the son of Mary. Um, in Acts 12, as Peter's being jailed, the angel comes, releases him, releases him. He realizes he's free, and he heads to this home. And it says when he would realize, when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. So he comes from a praying household. Uh, he was converted through Peter's ministry. Uh, Peter calls him his son, his spiritual son. And he went on the first uh, journey, the missionary journey, with uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas. And then uh, Paul wanted to go up the, up the interior of the peninsula. Mark said, I don't want to go there. So he left. And the next time they were going to go on a missionary trip, Barnabas wants to take Mark, and Paul says, ain't going anywhere with that guy. No, no, no. And so Barnabas goes with Mark, and Paul goes with Silas. And as far as we know, Paul and Barnabas never did another journey together. But at the end of his life, Paul had reconciled with Mark, and at the, at, uh, in 2 Timothy he says at the end, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very... Uh, helpful to, in serving me. So somehow Paul and Mark got back together again. Um, when we read the Gospel of Mark, we're actually reading Peter's eyewitness account to the events in the Gospel. So it really is through Peter's eyes that we're reading this story. Um, Mark is actually the most translated book in the Bible. It was the first book that Wycliffe translators translated. Interesting. Uh, it was written in Rome to the Roman church. It was a Gentile audience. Uh, Mark leaves out the genealogies and the Old Testament prophecies. He uses Latin versus Greek phrases. Um, Matthew looks at it. it. Matthew was written to a more Jewish audience, so you have the genealogies in the Old Testament. And he's really talking about Jesus as the legitimate heir to the throne of David. And then you have Luke who looks, uh, he's writing to a Greek audience, so he's, he looks at Jesus the man. John is more theological, and, and he's, Jesus is the son of God. Mark is writing to this Gentile audience in Rome, and he's portraying Jesus as, the, as a servant. So when you see him, it's, it's sort of a, the eyes of a servant. Um, Mark is the gospel of action. He, I love it. He uses the word immediately 41 times in his gospel. And immediately, because they're always doing something. It's, it's, it's like, this is, the, this is more doing than saying. 
There's not a, you don't hear Jesus preaching a lot in the Gospel of Mark. You just don't. Um, but it also shows the emotions of Jesus. He, we, more than in any of the other Gospels, it says he sighed deeply. He was moved with compassion. We kind of see the, the heart of Jesus when you read the Gospel of Mark. So, and when anybody asks me, I've never read the Bible. What should I read for? I always say, read Mark. Read the Gospel of Mark. It's shorter. It's to a Gentile audience. It's action-oriented. It's not a lot of theology in it, but you're going to get a good feel for who Jesus is. So now we have John. <clears throat> it's the opening of the uh, Gospel of Mark. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. God has been silent for about 400 years. Um, John preached in a day when Jewish religion had become dead orthodoxy, uh, needed revival. And in a way, it's the same today in many places, many churches, people going through the motions. Um, there's no life in it. It's become very rote. Many churches have abandoned the gospel to preach humanism. There is something you may not have heard of, but it's real. It's called moral therapeutic deism. MTD. Here are the tenets. God exists, a God exists who created the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. This is why I always say God has two phone numbers, 411 when I want to know something, and 911 when I'm in trouble. Okay? These are the people who say God is my co-pilot. Like, I'm in the driver's seat, I'll let you know if I need you. Uh, no, switch seats. Okay? And then the last one, good people go to heaven when they die. There's no gospel message in this. There's no gospel message in this because the gospel they find is offensive. Because it, says, it doesn't say, you're okay, I'm okay, you're okay. It says, I'm not okay and neither are you. You know, you've got a problem. It's called a sin problem. And if this was true, Jesus did not need to come and die on the cross for my sins. That's a fact. By the way, that's not true. What I just read. The good news of the gospel is the joyful tidings of the king. Is Bill here? Oh, he was in the early service. Okay. Oh, Jesus. God saves. Christ is the anointed one. It quotes two of the Old Testament prophets, Malachi and Isaiah. And my cap in Malachi, uh, we, hear, we read, Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek. And suddenly will suddenly come to the temple the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. When Malachi wrote that, it was really a warning to the religious leaders because they had become so empty of life. It had become so rote, so routine. It was weary. It was dusty. There was nothing in it. People weren't being fed. And he's saying there's, there's a time coming when this is going to change. And in Isaiah 40, it says, A voice cries, we just read, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be 
lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough plain, the rough places a plain. The wilderness, it was a very remote area, lonely place, otherwise known as the devastation. William Barclay puts it like this. Somewhere in here. There was a place in which he stayed, the wilderness, between the center of Judea and the Dead Sea lies one of the most terrible deserts in the world. It is a limestone desert. It looks warped and twisted. It shimmers in the haze of the heat. The rock is hot and blistering and sounds hollow to the feet as if there were some vast furnaces underneath. It moves out to the Dead Sea and then descends in dreadful and unscalable precipices down to the shore. In the Old Testament, it is sometimes called Geshemon, which means the devastation. John was no city dweller. He was a man from the desert and from this, his, its solitude and its desolations. He was a man who had given himself a chance to hear the voice of God. And this place is where they came to hear him. It wasn't like going to a resort. It wasn't going to the beach or the lake or the country. This is where they were going out in droves to hear him. So the messenger is John. The highway is being prepared for the Lord's coming. The road, road is prepared for the arrival of the king. They would make it smooth. They would get the obstacles out of the way for the arrival of the king. And this faith, this God, this gospel is designed to clear the obstacles out of the way so we can get to him and be with him and relate to him. One of the interesting things about being here a long time is I know you. I know you. And I know a lot of you are facing issues you wish you weren't facing right now. There's things going on in your life and you say, why me? Or where are you, God? Or I wish this was different. Don't let the obstacles in your life keep you from God. He is there. He is walking with you. He's, he's helping to see, you to see your way through whatever it is that you is blocking your way. There's no mountain too high for God, no mountain too high for people of faith. Seek his face. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Seek his face as you go through these trials in life. John wasn't exactly trying to impress people with the way he dressed. Now, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, um, back in the day, the priest, would, would, you know, their finery, it was always the best, you know. You know, one of the reasons that we wear albs is it so you're not going, I can't believe how much that suit costs. Where did you get that kind of money? Well, they do say that in other places. But you have no idea what I have on underneath it. Well, you do. It's a black shirt and a black pair of pants, probably. But, <clears throat> but it's just so that we're all the same. It's not an issue. 
and John could care less. He wore camel's hair clothes, and he was eating locusts and honey, and he's, he's like Elijah. This is what Elijah wore. This is what he did. He was out in the de- desert as well. And he was out there as he, as he was preparing people for what was to come, and any good work of God begins with preparation. In the Navy, I always say, I've told you about POM, P-O-M, prep, pre-overseas movement, so that when you're getting ready to go overseas, whether whatever part of the world it is, Mediterranean, Red Sea, Persian Gulf, Pacific, you have a period, a quite a long period, a couple of months of getting ready to go, exercises and all this sort of stuff, so that when you get there, when something happens, it's not, they don't say, okay, you go home now, we're going to bring in the A-team. No, you're the A-team. You better be ready. And one of these things is, like I, I said a couple of weeks ago in a sermon, you know, be ready. We don't know when God is going to come. Be ready. Every time I, I turn on the news and I see there was a shooting somewhere, and I, right now, let me pray. Um, a sheriff's deputy came by to pick up toys this morning and told Deacon Karen that one of the deputies was shot and is in the hospital. Wouldn't say who it was or why it happened. But Lord, we lift up this deputy sheriff right now to you for healing, for strength. We pray for the medical team that's dealing with this, this issue. We pray that the, uh, that the situation can be handled in a good and godly way and that this person will be restored to health and wholeness in body, mind, and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know what that deputy was doing. You know, I don't think there's any such thing anymore as a routine traffic stop or a routine call, domestic, whatever, you you never know. You just never know what's going to happen. And I think of all the people that went places to just have fun, and somebody shows up with a different idea, and they're gone. They're dead. We need to be ready. This is one of the things that John is telling us today. It's all about repentance. It's a change uh, in life that results in a change in action. came across this. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved this many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the precious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. This was April 30th, 1863, Abraham Lincoln's proclamation for a national day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer. And the next day, the Civil War turned around as the, as the northern forces won the Battle of Gettysburg. I think we could use that today in our nation as well, to be honest. People came out in droves to hear what John had to say in that place that I described. 
thousands of them. And they were in their own spiritual wilderness. They were experiencing their own devastation. They weren't hearing anything helpful from the religious leaders, and John is the real deal, and they know it. And they didn't care where he was. They were going out there to hear him. And I think of the Shake the Nations uh, ministry, ministry, these mission trips they've been taking, all these trips to Nicaragua, where they have 50 to 70,000 people in a soccer stadium, a quarter of a million people in Managua, Nicaragua. They went down to El Salvador and had the same, and now they've just, last night they were in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I don't know how many were there. I don't know, I haven't seen any pictures, but I know it was huge. People are coming out, they're hungry. They know that something in their life is missing. All these people that came out to hear John knew that something in their life was missing. And here was somebody, a very unlikely person, <coughs> saying what they needed to hear. And one of the things that they, what happened, very strangely, the Jews were getting baptized. Gentiles were baptized. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you had to get circumcised, you had to be baptized, you had to do all these things. Jews, no, no, no. You were born into that. <coughs> But now they were getting baptized. A very different, a very strange, unheard of practice. But they knew that they needed to be cleansed of their sin and the life that they had been living. They were convicted to the depth of their sorrow. The message was effective because it was complete, completely humble. It wasn't about John. <coughs> Excuse me. It wasn't about John. It was about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. I'm not fit to untie his sandals. That was the job of a slave. He didn't try to impress anybody the way he looked. He didn't set himself up in a very good location so people would want to come. He just did what God told him to do, and he told the truth, and they responded. He said, <clears throat> I'm going to baptize you with water, but Christ is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Where Jesus Christ is Lord, the Holy Spirit is present. Where Jesus Christ is not Lord, the Holy Spirit is not present. Jesus Christ is the Lord at Christ the King Anglican Church in Ocala, Florida. The Holy Spirit is present in this place. He is present in the hearts and minds of the people who come here, who call this place home. This is a very special place, not because of us, but because of him. I want to read a quick thing here at the end. <coughs> Excuse me. I need some, I got some water. <coughs> if you've been around, you know what that means. 
again, if you, if you haven't been around, I say this to people because I love them. <clears throat> this is out of uh, William Barclay's commentary on this passage. One of the great stories of what Christianity can do came out of the mutiny on the bounty. The mutineers were put ashore on Pitcairn Island. There were nine mutineers, six native men, ten native women, and a girl, 15 years old. One of them succeeded in making crude alcohol. A terrible situation ensued. They all died except Alexander Smith. Smith chanced upon a Bible. He read it and made up his mind to build up a state with the natives of that island based directly on the Bible. Uh, it was 20 years before an American ship called at the island. <clears throat> they found a completely Christian community. There was no jail because there was no crime. There was no hospital because there was no disease. There was no asylum because there was no insanity. There was no illiteracy. And nowhere in the world was human life and property so safe. Christianity had cleansed that society. Where Christ is allowed to come, the antiseptic of the Christian faith cleanses the moral poison of society and leaves it pure and clean. What you had in that society was changed hearts. I mentioned that last week. Our future does not rely on the next election, although that's important. And it is important. Be sure to vote. You need to pay attention to that. Our future relies on changed hearts like this. Hearts that have come into relationship with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they see things differently. They really take the essence of Mark, Jesus as a servant, to be their own calling in life. How can I serve you? And sometimes we feel like we've been written off or things aren't going our way, but I want you to know that that's not true. Listen to this. That is so true. Christ was born for you. Amen.